0: Hello, and welcome to The Annex, a podcast where me, Koi, talks with a lot of my friends and colleagues, other members of The Annex, about uh, some of our favorite topics history, politics, sports. And we like to keep things free flowing. This is our first ever episode, so we're still kind of finding our pod legs. But uh, today I'm joined by Simon Chernin. Uh, it's just me and him chatting a little bit about uh, history. We kind of decide on what we're going to talk about in the moment. So without any further ado, please sit back or start your exercise, whatever you do when you're listening to your podcasts. And uh hope you enjoy the annex. I don't know. You can see... This might be a little quiet. Let's bring that up. Try that. Hello? I don't think we got it. I think we're recording.
1: It's this recording. It. Yeah. Wow, well, that's it, eh? It's as simple as that. Well, this is Simon Chernin and Coy here. Hello. Here to discuss on the podcast, what are we talking about today, Coy? Oh, jeez. The, the turning point of the Second World War?
0: That's a great place to start. <laughs>
1: Skip right to the exciting moment. <laughs> well, there were many exciting moments before that. I want to, I want to assure the audience, and we'll get to those. I, w- I would recommend reading uh, lots of great scholarly books on the subject.
0: Yeah, but we're really here for the climax. I, w- I want the turning point.
1: Well, the well, th- this was more the beginning of the end. For who? The Germans. Okay. Well, they ultimately lost a war, bro. What?
0: Spoiler alert.
1: <laughs> oh, bro, I think that's uh, being facetious. You obviously know who won the war.
0: Yeah, of course. The good guys. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Although they're making me question Collectively. Now.
1: But the turning point of the war was the Battle of Stalingrad. Okay. One of the most famous battles in history. And Even people don't study World War II. Many of them will have heard of this battle. Now, is it still called Stalingrad? The city? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Volgograd. Ugh. During the de-Stalinization period, uh, under Nikita Khrushchev, they changed the name of the city.
0: Is that like when they got rid of like after the de Alexandrization after Alexander the Great, and they? After oh, Alexander the Great. There's all these Alexandrias. Wow. Did they not change the name? Only for Stalingrad?
1: Well, I, I do know that they changed the name specifically from, from Stalingrad to Volgograd. Wasn't there which, a Leningrad? Which, which was controversial. Well, that was St. Petersburg.
0: Was that changed at the same period?
1: Yes. Okay. Although Stalingrad was a city built from scratch.
0: Oh, it was like a modern city?
1: Yes. Like On the Volga River.
0: Hmm. When did they build it?
1: They built it in... The 1920s and 1930s.
0: Okay, so it truly was like a Stalin city.
1: Yeah, yeah, on the Vol- on the Volga River. And then finally, Volga got its day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you go to World War Two, <laughs> and of course now it's uh, the spring of uh, 1942, and the Germans are on the move again. So how long We're have they... they are split into three large army groups. Okay. Army Group Dawn goes after the Caucasus to seize the oil regions. Hmm. Where the white people come from. Um, well, I don't know how to <laughs> respond <to> that comment. <laughs> but it, it is a comment. Uh, I would, uh... Okay, so Army say Group... ...say that... Army group Don going mm. into the Caucasus also involved a tangent, which was the sixth army comprised of two army groups under von Paulisch. The spearhead of the entire Wehrmacht was sent to capture Stalingrad. Okay. So this is the spearhead of the the, f- the Wehrmacht. The Wehrmacht. The German army. The entire German army. These were the guys who marched into France. Same guys. Yes. They probably had a better time marching into France. Oh, ultimately, yes. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. To look at them side by side, being, in, you know, with boxes over their feet in ragged black clothing, compared to marching into Paris and taking the same route down the Champs-Élysées as the French took after the French victory in World War One. Right. So I think they had a much better time there in France. Than they did in Stalingrad. Ultimately,
0: I'll let that be a lesson to someone. I'm not quite sure who.
1: Well, if you want to go for a luxury vacation, I would go to Paris as opposed to Volgograd. Although I have looked up going to Volgograd, and I do intend to go there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, and not just because there's like some minor museums, or just to see the city. Uh, it's because uh, the Soviet National War Museum is located. Oh, wow. At Volgograd, Mamayev Kurgan, it's called. Oh, okay. It looks incredible. Incredible. We should check out the photos uh, those members of the audience. You can look them up.
0: Yeah, we'll have a link in the description below. I don't know. Sure. Sure. If I do my work, it'll be there. Sure.
1: But uh, I do plan to attend there one day.
0: Okay. And is it in, I'm just guessing out loud here, but is it in like an old tank factory?
1: No. Damn it. It's outdoors, and there's an indoor mausoleum. Oh, wow. With an eternal flame. Okay. We have one of those in Canada. Uh, yes, most, uh, a lot of countries do. Well, they're special. Uh, well, Although this one's probably did, more it, well, significant it did, well, in well, many it did, ways. denotes something special, yes.
0: So, we're back in Stalingrad, 1942. 1942. Yes. Hitler thought that he could take Russia But the Russia, But the winter. Russian
1: armies this time were under better generalship and fell back before Hitler's forces instead of fighting them. Not in the spring and summer. They were waiting to fight them in the winter. And so, so, they, and so they, they just they, slowly and backed And so away. they just slowly withdrew and withdrew bringing the Germans deeper and deeper into Russia to cut Russia in two with the Volga and to capture Stalingrad.
0: So they were wanting... Did the Russians want... Did they kind of choose Stalingrad as their...
1: No. No. No? They didn't know it would be the target necessarily. But... uh, The Germans certainly turned it into a fortress... Which was a big mistake by bombing the hell out of it. Now you've turned it into fortress Stalingrad. How does
0: how does how does that work? How does With bombing all sorts
1: it, of places to shoot from and like you know everything's in rubble? Like that classic Jude Law film, Enemy at the Gates. Sort of like that, except that that's not entirely well. The film is not entirely accurate. Well, I doubt any. But Brits were but fighting as Russians. But this battle was. Uh, the big misconception of the battle is that it was fought in the city and it was like this city battle, and like you know, the Russians eventually won. Well, it's really not true, but well, that's what
0: Hollywood told me.
1: I know, but what happened is that the Russians just fed enough troops across the Volga River under the command of General Chuikov, who's, Chuikov. The, who's, who's the greatest street brawler in military history. They just fed enough troops to keep parts of Stalingrad in Russian hands but waiting for the winter.
0: So I'm looking well, at a map here, and Volgograd is actually not that deep into Russia. I guess like most of Russia, once oh, you get past Moscow, it's, isn't it's like... It's
1: very much that deep at the time. At the time, yes. Yeah, It is very, very, very deep. And very, very, very cold in the winters.
0: Right. It's, it's so, about at the same latitude as Warsaw or so, it seems. Well, I'm on Google Maps, and it is very disorienting. Okay, great pod. So they're letting them. So the Russians are like slowly, but they're like they're trying to slow the the Germans as they're coming, right? They're not just running away. They're like trying to slow the advance.
1: Uh, barely. Really? Yeah. They just don't. Yeah, okay. but it's just it's going. You know, the Germans have to extend their supply trains. Oh, they're I got you. They're getting attacked by partisans in the rear.
0: So what my question is, why did it? Why did this city become? such an important factor
1: because of the name hitler wanted to capture stalingrad for the symbolic reason of capturing it really and he sent in the sixth army to do so the sixth army went to the city they bombed the hell out of it and then attacked street by street trying to take over the city this fighting went on for months so it didn't have much strategic significance well, it, there's, the, there's the strategic significance of where you place your troops in the war.
0: Right, but there wasn't any, like, like they weren't necessarily making more munitions out of there than anywhere else. or no. No. It didn't have any value other than the fact that they started placing people there. No,
1: no, yes. Hmm. Uh, it was really to be sacked as a, you know, a symbol, the attacking of the city named after Stalin himself.
0: Huh.
1: And uh, during the battle, as I mentioned, Chuikov was in charge of Russian forces in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the greatest street brawling general in history. He, By street brawling, you mean like urban warfare? Yes. Okay. By hugging the enemy, getting real close to them, not allowing them to use their heavy guns. Oh. That was his main tactic. But the fact is, is that behind the lines, behind the lines, what nobody else really knew was that there was, they were sending in thousands of tanks, including the T-34, the most famous and greatest tank of World War II. And over a million men were being placed behind the Volga in reserve.
0: In case the Germans
1: broke no, through? no. Under the command of my favorite general of the war, General Konstantin Rokhazovsky. Okay. Those troops crossed the Volga, and in the winter in December, smashed through the Hungarian... Oh. They, like, went around them. Smashed through the uh, Hungarian lines.
0: So the Hungarians would have been... So just as as an idea, because we're looking at the map here, Volgograd is at this, like, turning point of the river right there's this like large waterway i see that leads its way into what sea is this the caspian yes and uh so from volgagrad the sea runs kind of south east to the north western tip of the caspian and then the volga river runs almost directly north northeast um so the city is on this kind of elbow on the uh Yes. What is that? The western shore there
1: of the elbow. Yes. Yes, indeed.
0: Oh, and there's also a bunch of little tributaries and rivers and all this sort of stuff going on. So the city mostly lies on the on that western side there. Is that right?
1: Yes. Okay. And so the Russians fed troops across the river to keep the city going, but at the same time they mm-hmm. were massing a massive army. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the Germans, their rear and their flanks were protected by inferior troops. Okay. From Romania and from Hungary.
0: Because they weren't really worried about a counterattack?
1: No. Or not uh, a significant well, actually, one? actually, they were significantly warned. Uh, Hitler was warned many times by many people. He even sacked the main general for the Eastern Front because he was too... Scared? Uh, and, uh, he wasn't a fervent believer in the party and his beliefs of German superiority. Sounds like Hitler. Von Holder was sacked, and the troops eventually surrounded uh, the city and then squeezed it inwards. The Germans called it the pocket, the Kessel, the cauldron.
0: The Kessel Run.
1: Well, no. No? no With
0: no Chewy? Either. This is
1: all very Star Wars. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> They squeezed the pocket until. Okay.
0: So there were fighters in the city, Russian fighters in the city.
1: No, no, no. There was no more Russian fighters in the city. Now they, now the Germans are just living in winter conditions and freezing cold in a city that's been, cut been off bombed all out. Their supply lines, in the very city that they have been trying to capture, and now they've been surrounded by seven Russian armies. Whoa. And the Russians are just like, this is now your graves. Well, yes. On a, Well, at one point during the battle, the Moscow radio played for 24 hours straight. Just a ticking. Uh, saying every seven seconds a German soldier dies in Russia. Stalingrad is a mass grave. Wow. The ticking and the message went on all night. Oh, wow.
0: That was a national
1: broadcast.
0: Wow, those Russians really know their propaganda.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Wow. Hitler tried to send troops under von Manstein to break into the pocket because he because he he forbade the general in charge of the Sixth Army. He, he denied him freedom of action. Oh. So he couldn't break out of the pocket.
0: Oh, he had he told him to just. Hitler
1: said he'd send troops to break in.
0: So he says, don't try to escape. You hold the position and we'll send reinforcements. Yes. Because he didn't want to lose that powerful, in his mind, position that was
1: Stalingrad. Yes, yes. That and also to relieve pressure in other parts of the front. Because the the Russians were attacking all across the eastern front during this time period. Because they attacked in winter. Just like they had attacked the previous winter and been successful. Right. So this is...
0: So at this point in nineteen forty two the kind of German advance had stopped? And that's when like Well they the, were well the... they
1: were continuing to capture against Stalingrad and the Caucasus regions.
0: So they were moving forward? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the but during winter the Russians were starting to make significant counterattacks.
1: Yes, just like the previous winter.
0: Oh, so every winter they would that's when they would that's when they were able to really
1: Not not the following year, when the Russians had the greatest land army ever...
0: That's when they just said, fuck it, we're ever, not backing ever, up ever anymore. ...ever
1: created in the history of man. Like in the Battle of Kursk, this was a spring battle, and the Russians put in so many tanks and so many men, that you know, and all these defensive lines that had chewed up the German army. Kursk was really the end of the war. That was the destruction of the German panzers in the field. And Kursk... It was the greatest... Tank battle in the history of mankind. Well, there's not much of a history of tanks and warfare, so. Well, in the 20th century.
0: Okay, so Kursk is is closer to the Ukraine, a little bit north, more west, northwest of what is now Volgograd. So that's that. They had already pushed the Germans back quite a bit. That's, this would have been the 43 or 44.
1: Yes. And then the Russians launched Operation Bagration, which pushed them all the way to right outside Warsaw. They destroyed Army Group Center, German Army Group Center. Oh, wow. And that was the, you know... The breaking of the back. Yeah, basically.
0: So the so third, basically... The Third the, Reich
1: had no chance after that.
0: So the, the, so the beginning of the end here is his Chewy's... No, Chewy was the... Chewy was the great city fighter it was this other guy who did the encirclement of the pocket
1: yes and it was because of his expertise he was actually of former polish nobility konstantin rokozowski my favorite general of all time really yes
0: did he do any other cool moves
1: operation bagration was entirely his is Bagration this one we're talking about or is it another one that was the destruction of german army group center in 1944. That basically destroyed the entire German army.
0: So not only did he encircle Stalingrad and just lay waste to the Germans, but then a year or two later he ended up breaking the spine of the German military.
1: Yes, yes, and that is very hard to do. This is the invincible German army. And, wow. And he's fighting against the best. The Germans devoted 85% of their resources to the Eastern Front. Older best oh. men, all their best equipment, all their best everything. Wow. They throwed it against the Russians, but they could not win.
0: There's was just too many people.
1: Well, it was also they developed tactics, and uh, their weaponry was uh, of very, very, very high quality.
0: So I'd like you to react to this. I don't think I've told you this before, but I read an article uh, a few months ago about German ingenuity and how it kind of undermined their capacity in making machines of war Um, what the thesis of the article was basically saying that the German engineers were so focused on making the best possible tanks and the best possible specifically armored vehicles that they kept changing the design too much between every uh, iteration so that you couldn't just kind of scavenge and use parts from each other because every time they came out with a new one, it would be a new a new whole design, which meant that uh, it overworked the engineers and it meant that uh, you you had to like kind of refabricate and like change what you're doing in your factories and like you couldn't just kind of stick with one thing that worked and just mass produce on a on a crazy scale because they were uh, trying to this
1: this is true, and albert Speer Hitler's minister of armaments after the war admitted that this was true as well okay. That this was a, that this was a problem that the Germans were designing very intricate armored vehicles, especially. Right. But those intricate designs, you know,
0: can fail under wartime
1: conditions. Well, you, well, the flaw the flaw is that if there's any damage to them, it's hard to fix and replace. Right. Now, having said that, the Germans still produced the best, not the most consequential tank in a war, but the best tank of the in a war in the Tiger tank. Hmm. So the, so the Germans did produce you know, some very, very, very good armored vehicles. Certainly better than the Americans could ever produce. I mean, the Sherman was uh, one of the worst tanks in the in all of history considering, you know. It's
0: Wasn't the Sherman, didn't they make a movie about that? About how it was supposed to be like a reconnaissance, is that the one? that was supposed to be a reconnaissance tank that ended up being a this and a that and it tried to be everything and failed at all of it? I'm not sure I saw that movie. Oh, okay, it's like a comedic take on uh how the pentagon worked i see during world war ii yeah maybe it was uh maybe it was set later Let's see. let me see if i can find it quick google search fill the space <laughs> there penta well. the pentagon wars it's a military comedy film, HBO, 1998. I see. It is about the Bradley
1: Fighting Vehicle Project. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's entirely different. I can, we can talk about the Bradley Fighting Vehicle. Which is, if you want.
0: compared to the Sherman, which would you say is a bigger piece of garbage?
1: The Bradley Fighting Vehicle is an excellent fighting machine. However, it's an, it's an IFE, it's an infantry fighting uh, Machine, It's not a MBT, a main battle tank. So they're entirely different. Their functions are entirely different. One is a troop carrier and troop killer. Mm -hmm. The other is a main battle tank.
0: Okay. I think this movie is just about how this was a troop carrier that was supposed to be reconnaissance, but then they added so much armor and weapons that it ended up not being a great troop carrier or reconnaissance vehicle, and it was never really designed to be strong enough so that... All of the extra stuff they put on it just kind of made it slow.
1: Let's see. Well, fair enough. I guess I'd have to see the movie and as to whether it's really based on the truth.
0: Well, if anyone's interested, it's starring Kelsey Grammer.
1: Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> well, to my mind, the M2 Bradley is still a very fine machine.
0: But the Sherman we're saying is, of all the tanks, the worst
1: in the war. In World War II, it's it certainly wasn't literally the worst tank in the war, but in terms of uh, the major fighting powers,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, we're not we're not Japan, considering
1: Japan and the United States produced the most inferior tanks
0: because we're not considering Italy. I guess right. they didn't even really con- they didn't even make major tanks, did they, Italians? No.
1: no, no, no. Well, they did make tanks, but they were terrible, terrible. Cool. Hey,
0: it's a buonissima.
1: Well, no, no. This is not to, well. First of all, Italians make uh, amazing machines in terms of motorized vehicles, but they didn't so, have the
0: infrastructure, kind of backing to be able to make something on that scale.
1: Yeah, perhaps. Not.
0: So, looking at these pictures of the Sherman, these are the classic kind of rounded top. This is in all the American movies the from the war. Called
1: it a, the Tommy Cooker.
0: Tommy Cooker. Did they call Americans Tommies? Yes. And they would just cook inside. Is the idea?
1: Yes, it's a horrible uh, vision, and uh, these these tanks were completely weak. The reason why they were mass produced the manner that they were was because uh, General George S. Patton endorsed the tank in a big way, saying that this was like you know this was a winnable tank, even though it was really a medium tank. It wasn't a heavy tank, and because he liked the fact that it was fast and could you know. He thought about maneuverability. Yes, but in reality, the best use of a tank is when it's actually standing still, like behind something. <laughs> and then you just blow everything away.
0: So they're kind of the best use of a tank is to be more just like a semi mobile weapons
1: platform. Yes. Yeah.
0: That it can move itself as opposed to taking it apart and moving it.
1: Yes, yes, definitely.
0: But you don't need it to be
1: firing on the move,
0: or at least in those times.
1: Yeah. One can do that, but. Uh... It's not really a winning strategy unless you have overwhelming strength.
0: Like in Kursk.
1: Well, both parties had their best strength. The Germans brought their best divisions to Russia for this. Hitler delayed the entire thing so he could get 80 of the new Panther tanks, which had just been built to be part of that attack. Hmm. They had Tiger tanks. The Germans, this was, this was their last great strategic offensive.
0: So why, why didn't, I guess Germany was kind of too far extended. They didn't want to turn to full, like kind of back out to a stronger defended position, or they, there was no place to back to?
1: Well, they were back to different strong points. Hitler called them fortified positions, and he would forbade troops from backing from those places. Okay. This is a terrible strategy. They should have obviously had a mobile defense.
0: Right, just like what the Russians were doing. Yes. On the opposite uh side.
1: and you know, it resulted in, you know, huge German catastrophes. So
0: time and time again, whenever I read or
1: hear anything about this, it's it's uh
0: very clearly like one man's autocratic decisions that are the reason for massive basically all of Hitler's or all of Nazi Germany's military f- failures.
1: Well, To a large extent, yes. (laughs) To a large extent. That's kind of crazy. That's correct.
0: Wow. And thank God for the Eastern Front for for the Allies, because that's what allowed, if that 85% of the force had been over on the western side, then probably wouldn't have been able to land on D-Day.
1: Never. 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 Or if they did land, it would have resulted in... Just massacre, horrific battles of like you know horrific casualties. The Second Western Front, like the yes. First World War, yeah, for sure. Wow.
0: Did he keep a lot of his air force there? Is like all, all of it, like air force everything, Good. or is it just military? Is it just kind of army?
1: No, oh, no. The air force was devoted to the Russian campaign. Really, and Hitler yeah. moved his uh, military headquarters to uh, East Prussia, the Wolf's Lair uh to you know conduct the war uh you know the eastern front was the absolute priority from day from from waking up in the morning to going to bed at night i
0: guess from his perspective the only thing that was left in the western front was the little island of britain really
1: well that's what he thought initially but then uh the japanese entered the war and they brought the americans into the war
0: weren't the japanese allied with nazis for a while
1: they were. They still were. They were part of the Tripartite Pact with Italy, Germany. Did Hitler Germany.
0: ask them not to no, bring America? They in?
1: did whatever they wanted. If Hitler really had sway, he would have had them attack from the east into Russia. Into Russia.
0: And I had heard that there were some.
1: Sorry, into west into Russia.
0: There was uh, a lot of conflict within Germany. I heard this, or within Japan. I had heard from. Dan Carlin's hardcore history about the inner conflict between the Japanese army and the Japanese navy, kind of trying to say which was the better decision. And in the end, it was the navy that actually won because the army wanted to attack Russia. The navy wanted to go and control the Pacific.
1: Well, I'd have to take a look at that. But all I know is that the Japanese were very, very reticent to fight the Russians. Very, they just very, had ret- that. very reticent. They also had major border clashes with the Russians during all of 1938-1939, and they got their asses whooped. Hmm. Whooped. They wanted nothing to do with fighting the Russians. Interesting. It was Stalin's great spy, Sorge, in Tokyo.
0: Sorge Ibaka?
1: No. That uh, informed him uh, of Tokyo's, uh, that they were looking elsewhere in terms of where they were going to advance, not into Russia. And that's why in the first winter offensive of the Russians, they were able to move 2 million Siberian troops up to the front to save Moscow.
0: So you have to say that again. So so a Russian spy told the Russians that Japan was not intending to invade, and that allowed them to take their reserves that were guarding their eastern front because they weren't worried anymore. Correct, sir. Okay.
1: Now, those reserves were amongst the best troops in Russia. Because
0: they were the ones who had just fought the Japanese?
1: Well, they were also just hardened Siberian troops. Yeah, it's just living in are, Siberia. Who, like, who can fight in winter conditions. Yeah. And so they brought them to attack the Germans in Operation Typhoon. And okay. uh, pushed them far away from Moscow and, you know, resulted in pretty heavy German casualties. Wow. And the Germans saw for the first time that... This was going to be a long, drawn-out war.
0: Because I'd always, I'd always thought... I, my understanding of the Allies was a very unified military alliance. But I, I had assumed that the Axis also had some sort of coordinated military alliance, but it seems like, no, they just kind of were a non-aggression pact.
1: No, yeah, th- that's basically right. I mean, Hitler didn't consult Italy in terms of his moves, in terms of moving into Belgium, moving into the Low Countries, moving into France... Italy only declared war on France after the Battle of France was effectively over. Classic. Uh, and the Japanese did what they wanted to do. But uh, th- 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 three days after the uh, Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. Hitler inexplicably, or sorry, uh, in, uh, inexplicably.
0: Inexplicably?
1: Inexplicably, there yes. You go. Apologies. <laughs>
0: You inexplicably couldn't pronounce. He, yes. He,
1: inexplicit- he inexplicably. There you go. Declared war on America. Oh, he did it first. Yes, he did it first. When this was, you know, saved Roosevelt a great deal of headache. Sure, yeah. Because there would have been a strong argument to say that the, that the Pacific War is our war. Right, we don't We're, need to be a part of the... We don't need to be part of the European War. Wow. But Hitler made his decision for him. And then the Americans immediately called a joint session of Congress and declared war on Germany.
0: You can't turn around talking about World War II without finding a stupid decision
1: by Hitler. Uh, that was his second stupidest decision.
0: Would you say Stalingrad was his worst, or attacking Russia?
1: Attacking Russia.
0: Because he didn't need to, right? They had a non-aggression pact, him and Stalin.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Now, didn't the Russians kind of have a massive revolution... At one point, or was that World War One? That was after World War One. Okay. These uh, decades of
1: global war, I get mixed up. Oh no, that's entirely understandable. Entirely understandable. You know, the Russian Revolution took place after after the Russians withdrew from World War One.
0: Right. That's what I was remembering. It was this kind of they
1: were a part of it, and then they just backed
0: out and had a revolution and
1: yes, reset. They actually had a revolution before they backed out of the war. It's actually really co- a complicated story.
0: Most geopolitical stuff is, but I want yeah. simple. <laughs> 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 if it's more than two sentences, it's not worth it. Well, okay, so the beginning of the end of the Germans was the Balin, was the Battle of Stalingrad. Correct, sir. When Hitler, a city that Hitler decided to attack purely because of its name, overcommitted, and then refused to retreat when basically entirely surrounded. Uh, Specifically fired a dude who told him uh, this
1: is a bad move. Correct. That is all correct. World War One, World War Two was decided on the Eastern Front. Right, just as World War One was decided on the Western Front.
0: Well, you know, it's like every other weekend. It's kind of like you know you share custody.
1: Huh. <laughs> I suppose these were two different, very different wars, but some historians argue it was all one war. part of one war. They just needed to grow more men. Ferdinand Falk, uh, who was uh, the commander-in-chief of Allied forces eventually,
0: in the during
1: version. World War One, okay, he said of the, uh, Versailles, the Treaty of Versailles that uh, this isn't peace. This is armistice for 20 years. He was off by only a few days.
0: Pretty much, eh? And the first war ended 14? No, 19. 1918. 1918, and then the invasion of
1: Poland. It was off my only days. Wow. Uh, you know, after France, uh, after France uh, signed the armistice with Germany in World War II, they Germans made the signing ceremony be at a museum, where they had the same Compiègne railroad car mm-hmm. where the Germans had signed their armistice in 1918.
0: Right, I heard that the and French didn't want the Germans standing on French soil, so they made them do it on a railroad
1: car, right? That was. In uh, no, it was the Germans imposed this whole thing. This was a French museum. No, but
0: this was, that's because of the insult that the French had given the Germans uh, after the First World War.
1: Well, it wasn't too much of an insult. This was more of a... Uh, you know, you thought it was over. <laughs> Sorry. More of a oh,
0: you thought it was over.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the Germans afterwards wrecked the uh, train car and wrecked the uh, all the statues in the area. Oh wow! Except for one. Which one? Ferdinand Falk.
0: Because they're like that guy knew so, what's up, so
1: that he could see the disaster that had befallen France. The, the statue was overlooking it. Wow.
0: Hang his head over the town of York, so that York may look over the town of York. Fair enough. And Shakespeare. Shit is straight up Shakespearean. Yes, it is. Wow, it's made a, a statue film. look over it. The man's not even alive. No. Sir, it's a it's a statue. It's a statue. But it's a pretty bold statement. Wow.
1: Almost definitely.
0: So, if only. Now, here's a question. Do you think the Allies, let's say, well, I guess it goes in a series of questions. Do you think Germany could have uh, taken over Britain? The first question, if they had decided to commit to that.
1: It's possible but it would have been very hard to force that crossing. Yeah. It would have been very hard to run over the Royal Navy in terms of forcing that crossing.
0: Right, that was the main And defense. the British were
1: prepared. To, like, The attack would have been using fast attack boats mm-hmm. to ferry Germans across the channel. Right. But they wouldn't have been able to bring any heavy equipment, and the British were ready at the landing zones to hit them with everything, including poison gas. Especially wow. poison gas.
0: They were willing to do everything it took.
1: Oh yes, uh, Churchill authorized the use of poison gas explicitly and said, "You know, we're going to use all of it, like you know, wow. on the beaches." Uh, and but uh, the fact is, is that it would have been very hard to run over the Royal Navy in terms of doing this. The Royal Navy could have sunk virtually the entire German armada of troop ships. Right. Wow, but it was essential. That, but the German, but the British Navy can't operate if the Germans have absolute air superiority. So the Battle of Britain was absolutely essential in so, terms of keeping the RAF alive.
0: So step by step, if whoever controls the air can negate sea power, is that the idea? Not
1: entirely negated, but seriously suppressed.
0: Okay, so if the Germans controlled the air, they could suppress British Sea naval power enough to make a crossing feasible, was the idea.
1: Am I, am I following? That that was the idea, yes. But they were never able to destroy the RAF. They were never able to destroy fighter command. Well, the Spitfires. Those must have been the best fighter planes in the war. They were. The British fought mostly with hurricanes. But the Spits were... Uh, well, it wasn't... Li- well certainly the most beautiful plane in the war. They're gorgeous. And uh, it was the most advanced aircraft for its time. Right. Later in the war more advanced aircraft were developed. Okay. Uh but for its time it was the best aircraft in the world. Right. Yes. Cool. But the Germans the Me 109 Messerschmitt was also a very 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 good airplane. Yeah. Certainly superior to the Hurricane.
0: Not as cool looking. That's what I, if you know
1: certainly not as cool looking as the Spitfire. Controversial
0: opinion, but I think that's why they lost it. It was branding. Messerschmitt Schmidt didn't have those those curves.
1: Well, no, the Spitfire was a nicer plane. <laughs> if you were to sell these planes, uh, the Spitfire would definitely be a harder item.
0: They're gorgeous. And how does the Mustang put up?
1: The P fifty one Mustang. Yeah, wasn't that the American? Yeah, that was eventually the American plane. That was not that time? It was later? It was later. Mm. That was actually a combined American-British effort. Oh, wow. They took an American plane that flew well but couldn't fly long distances, and they stuck a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine into it. These British engineers did. Yeah. And then they noticed it was uh, the plane was amazing.
0: Um. So there's something interesting I remember seeing, because uh, I when I was uh, in London, I went to the uh, Museum of Engineering uh, that they have there uh, with my brother at the time, and we got to see one of the Merlin engines they have there. Really? It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, and what's crazy is that? That's very cool. Uh, within the war, from 1939 to 1945, British engineers kept improving the Merlin. But Because the, the planes weren't changing. So they had, this, they had the same fuselage, and they were just saying, we need to get more power out of this bad boy. So they started with about 1,000 horsepower, and by the end of the war in 1945, they had a flight test of 2,200 horsepower.
1: Well, that's very impressive.
0: With all the exact same measurements and exhaust ports and everything. Well, that's very impressive. So it improved from 1.4 to 0.8 pounds per horsepower
1: during the war. Well, I tell you, that's what war does. You know, That's certainly what war does.
0: Yeah, I, I always thought that was a really incredible uh, example
1: of ingenuity. Yeah, the, there really is no human endeavor like Total War.
0: We should get back to it.
1: Back to that era?
0: <laughs> no, Total War, right? No? Total War. Well... Well, it's it's not Maybe a good not. state to be in. No. Yeah, no,
1: it's true. I prefer the era, era of peace amongst great powers.
0: But think about all the ingenuity we've lost.
1: <laughs> we still have Silicon Valley. We still have the Ivy League.
0: Well, this might be for another topic, but uh, we could argue about uh, how much ingenuity is coming out of Silicon Valley these days.
1: Well, they're the ones who still build all the stuff from the
0: no, no, they don't. They don't build it. That's built across the...
1: They're ones to come up with the designs. I don't know mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. The patents. But it's, uh,
0: it's much more closed up than it was even 20, 30 years ago.
1: Well, fair enough. I'd have to do some more research on the topic.
0: Well, I mean, a simple question is like,
1: what's the last major tech company... Well, there's lots of tech companies. We just have, we just have to we Google that. <laughs> <laughs> there's exactly. Tech co- there's tech companies coming into, <laughs> yeah. coming into play every month.
0: Yeah, but uh, the big ones have kind of taken their seats. They're not going anywhere, and they're not making much space. They buy up things before they let them share space.
1: Yeah, we'll see what eventually happens. There might be antitrust issues. That'd be interesting, actually. could affect the major... The major players.
0: That's that's for our next topic, I think.
1: In the marketplace. But that does sound like another topic.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was a very good uh, rundown of the turning point of the war, the beginning of the end. Yes. It was a fine practice session. Mm-hmm. So thank you for listening, one and all, even if it is just one. Yes. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be coming back to you shortly. That sounds good. Thank you, Coy. <laughs> thank you, Simon. So thank you again for listening to our first ever episode of The Annex. This is Coy signing off and wishing you all to have a wonderful rest of your day. And hopefully eyes. you'll join us again by subscribing, liking, and sharing. Doing all those wonderful things that uh, keeps us alive in this digital landscape. Until next time.